Welcome to another episode of Creating Powerful Impact. I'm your host, Shay Wheat, founder of Grace and Ease Productions, where we support entrepreneurs just like you with event-based marketing and sales strategies, which allows you to build your authority, your credibility, and your visibility in your industry. And today's guest is somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, this is somebody I would want on the podcast, because we've always talked about a whole bunch of things of like, how do you grow as an entrepreneur? But we wanted to bring Joseph on because for over 17 years, he has incorporated humor, energy, passion, full self-expression. So, so far, totally in alignment, right? Um, He's brought it into his personal and his professional life. But he also has a diverse career in finance and sales and customer service and recruitment and professional speaking. On top of all of this, he's all about bringing forth an interesting twist to getting things done and achieving results that go well beyond expectations. He is a small business owner that regularly contacts executives and understands the importance of clear, concise, confident, and conversational communication to generate results that are truly unbelievable. But I'm really excited to have Joseph setter here because we're going to talk a little bit about corporate culture among another amazing set of questions that I have in line for him but please help me welcome Joseph to the creating powerful impact stage what's up Joseph hello hello and thank you again for having me Shay it's an honor and a pleasure I'm excited to have you because like as a corporate culturist. One, I've never really heard that terminology before, but I would love for you to share, like, what is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? And then I want to dive into a couple of other pieces of like, you know, you've helped over 1,100 people find jobs they love with a 90% 11, yeah, 11,000. 11,000, excuse me. Yeah, sorry. In, in a job that like they love, which is something that goes into that culture piece. Mm-hmm. So tell us, what is a corporate culturist? So in its simplest form, a corporate culturist combines elements of HR in terms of looking for resumes, mm-hmm. but also recognizing what drives employees and what engages them. So for example, a lot of companies go, okay, we'll give you a $5,000 raise. But if you're somebody that's driven by learning new things, a $5,000 raise doesn't really excite you because you're not driven by the money. Mm -hmm. So I help companies recognize that, okay, this person wants to learn things. So if you want to keep them around, tell them what they're going to learn in the next project or pay for courses for them to improve themselves. But in the process of improving themselves, they'll be more productive for you because they'll apply what they're learning to the work that they're doing, for example. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of executives kind of go, they look at an Excel spreadsheet and go, I need to make this number better. And many of them are very disconnected from the front line, the day-to-day operations. I love the show Undercover Boss because at the end of every show, the executive goes, oh my God, I should speak to the people at the work here. I might get some insights. And my first reaction is like, you think, (laughs) right? So part of what I do is I do personality and psychometrics assessments. 
that gives me data on how people think, how they act, how they behave. Uh, I have assessments or engagement uh, strategies for social responsibility. So I give organizations data to say, here's the causes that your employees care about. So you could still donate money to charity, get your tax receipt, get your PR, but do it in a way that your employees feel, oh my God, I was part of this, or I made a difference, or you know, I contributed to this. Uh, and so what happens is that you right now, corporate culture, corporate social responsibility are pretty much common verbiage in any conversation. And a lot of organizations will preach corporate culture, but then it's kind of like dismissive. So I like to give this example. And then if I may, I'll share a story and kind of how I kind of learned this. So, you know, it, one of my favorite holidays is Halloween. I'm a big kid at heart and I love dressing up. So when I've worked for organizations, we're like, okay, we're going to have a Halloween costume party, but none of the executives dress up. Mm-hmm. It sends a message of like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it. But we really don't care. So even if an executive has meetings for the entire day, Go to Dollarama or Dollar Tree, buy a mask for a couple bucks, put it on for 10, 15 minutes, walk around, shake hands, acknowledge the people that put in the time and the effort to really dress up and really, you know, go above and beyond uh, there, then take the mask off and go do your meetings. But that 10 to 15 minutes will make the difference between I trust the leadership and I have buy-in to I'll do the bare minimum not to get fired, but keep my job. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of executives don't seem to understand that. So earlier on in my career, I worked in finance and I worked in a bank. I used to answer the phone with, it's a great day or it's a fantastic day at the bank name. My name is Joseph. How can I help you? One of my coworkers complained that me saying great or fantastic could be interpreted as the bank is making too much money. So senior management had three two-hour-long meetings to discuss whether or not I was allowed to say great or fantastic and decided it was cheaper and easier to ban me from saying those words than to retrain 120 traders on the floor. Now, right after this happened, one of the senior VPs walked over to me and said, Joseph, you have great energy. You're always positive. Morale here is really low. I'd like you to open a social committee to start creating activities to engage the staff and get them more energetic. I was like, oh, great, great. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go organize a potluck because everyone loves food. His reaction was, that's probably never going to work because most of the people here are bachelors and they'll probably just give you five to $10 and say, I'll buy what or I'll eat whatever somebody else brings. I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I created an Excel spreadsheet. You know, this many people can bring soft drink or drinks. This many people can bring salads. This many people can bring cookies. This many people main courses. And I logged off the phone and I started with the senior executive. I said, I don't care if you make it, your partner makes it, your mom makes it, or you buy it. But you have to sign up for something. Now, the day of the potluck, I logged off the phone for about two hours to organize all the food in a logical way so that the meat wasn't beside the chocolate, for example. Um, now during the quarter, I won or came in the top three for seven out of 10 contests, including answering 151 training calls in an eight hour shift, Mm. right? 
the bank refused to give me my bonus because I was logged off the phone for four hours to organize the social event that the executive vice president asked me to do. And so there's like so many the, disconnects in there. Right. So on the one hand, we want culture, we want engagement, but on the other hand, let's find loopholes so that the executives keeps the bonus, for example. Mm. And so because of experience that when I go to organizations and I talk to them about corporate culture, I talk about little simple things like start with having a coffee machine, you know, free coffee in the office. As much as people love their Starbucks, the idea that the coffee is free, the concept that you don't have to run down across the street and get it, but you have it here will make people more productive by default, mm -hmm. for example. And it's little things like that, that a lot of times executives, because let's say coffee is not part of their profits and losses, don't think about how simple it is to take care of the people that work there, yeah. to acknowledge them, to appreciate them, to accept them, kind of the three A's, which is why we all seek love so much, because that's the epitome of all three of those kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, most people, and ironically enough, when I left the bank and became a recruiter, I called 37 people that worked with me that every day complained to me how much they hate working for the bank, how miserable they are. And had uh, E-Trade was one of my kind of first clients, called them on their personal cell phone on the weekend and said, I know you're a licensed trader. Uh, E-Trade is desperate for people. Since I already know you, all you have to do is come and shake hands. There won't even be an interview. I know you work shift work. So if you work from nine to five, I'll schedule it at eight o'clock at night. If you work from 11 to eight, I'll schedule it at seven in the morning. So you don't miss a single hour of work. Care to guess out of 37 people, how many actually went? Three. Good guess. One. Oh. Right. Wow. And I got excuses like I got used to taking a nap on the bus. And I'm like, I'm offering you double your income. Like you're making a salary of let's say $40,000, $45,000 right now. I'm offering you a $10,000 bonus, double the benefits, better kind of structure as a whole for the bonuses. And a nap is a reason why not to take an opportunity. You know, well, what if I get the shift I don't like? Again, you're complaining to me every day how much you hate it here. So here you go. Uh, but unfortunately, we've become creatures of habit and many, many individuals are afraid of change. Mm -hmm. You know, this is for entrepreneurs too. When they're first starting out, they're doing everything. And as they grow, it's sometimes very hard for them to understand that they can let go and do, you know, I don't enjoy accounting. Let me hire a great accountant to do my accounting for me because I don't want to spend the time, right? Um, well, let's I'm, let's stick with that for a second, right? So a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. They're small business owners. They maybe have a handful or one or two people on their team, but it's like, oh, yeah, I know I need to like release control of this position. I don't know what to ask. I don't want to go through all of like the hiring. Like, how do I know if this is a good person? I'm going to spend all this time and energy investing into them. And then to have them leave like a year later, what are some of the things that you could put in place in, let's say that hiring process that would support you in, in finding the right people so they wouldn't necessarily leave in a year? 
So there's a few things I would recommend. So first of all, the one of the biggest problems that exists uh, predominantly in North America, because that's where I've had most of my experience and expertise, is that the interview process is extremely generic and cookie cutter. So most, let's say, entrepreneurs or HR will ask questions like, tell me about this job, right? And autoresponder kicks in. I'm very hardworking. I, you know, I did this and I did this. If you change the question by changing two or three words. So I will ask, what are the three biggest achievements you've had in your career? Can you describe them for me in detail? Now, I'm not getting autoresponder. I'm getting the real person. I'm getting what they done. What's the biggest problem you had to deal with? Or what's the biggest issue that you faced? And when you create more open-ended questions that ask about results, you're going to get a much better picture of the person. I'm a huge believer in the value of having personality assessments that can give you insights on, let's say, their leadership skills or their communication skills or that. But again, there is, let's say, questions like, you know, outside of work, let's say, what are five things on your bucket list that you would like to achieve? And so you can now create a kind of idea that if these results are achieved, based on the interview, I will do this for you, or I will do that. Like you want to go to Hawaii, for example, or whatever. I will pay for your trip to Hawaii if this is achieved within, let's say, the year. And so now you've incentivized mm -hmm. uh, the individual to go, ooh, I'm going to show them how amazing I am because I want that free trip to Hawaii. You know, yeah. oftentimes when I speak to C-level executives, uh, I'll say this. If you have an executive assistant that's working for you, that's brilliant, that's, you know, keeping on track and getting the information you need for all the reports. Yes, you can give them a couple thousand dollar bonus for a great job. But instead of the bonus, pay them a full day and send them to the spa to pamper themselves, right? Don't get me wrong. It's especially across the United States where let's say in areas like Florida, you know, where minimum wage is $8 an hour, you know, a $2,000 injection of income can make a huge difference. But if you pay them their day's salary and send them to the spa for $300, mm -hmm. it's a luxury that a lot of times the executive assistants won't allow themselves. And because they get to relax, they get to rejuvenate, they get to feel beautiful and amazing and so forth they'll come back with more energy and they will want to do a better job for you because now you've given them something that they won't allow themselves and if you kind of create it where it's not you chose it for them you've paid for them to have let's say three to five hundred dollars worth of services and they can choose whatever services they want when they're there mm -hmm. it it allows them to go, oh my God, I had the best massage and oh my God, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, my wife gets her nails done. To me, like, if they make you happy, I'm happy that, you know, go do them, don't like, go do them. Like, yes, you need them, do them kind of thing, right? But it's such a small thing 
but it connects with the person on this on, on that personal level. Mm-hmm. And I find that again, a lot of executives don't think of these small, important, you know, things that can be done that, you know, not all of them are more money. A lot of them are actually less money, but it's a form of appreciation. It's a form of there. Um, yeah. I, I think I was reading something somewhere where um, an executive team was going, oh, they just want more money. And when they actually dove in and did some surveys and asked their people what they wanted, this particular group of um, employees wanted to be able to buy a house, right? For them and their family. And actually, in order to um, do that, they were like, oh, well, if we just bring somebody in and give you training and you know financial planning, and this is how you can do it, they came and they kept showing up and they would work harder because they got that extra education like you were speaking about earlier. Right. right. On the top 10 reasons why people leave a job, salary is actually number seven. What's the number one, two, and three? The way they're treated. Oh, really? Yes. Like the way the number one is the, you know, the kind of micromanagement approach where yelling and screaming at you. Number two is, um, you know, leadership says one thing, but doesn't like they preach, but they don't actually do themselves. Mm-hmm. So there's no buying in leadership. And number three is that a lot of people feel like their voice is never heard. Like, you know, I have an idea to improve. Well, your entry level, so your ideas don't matter. And there isn't enough um, forms or opportunities for um employees to kind of go, you know what, I think this is something that's inefficient. Um, And sometimes when it is brought to management attention, they kind of dismiss it. Like, what are you thinking? Like, again, going back to my financial experience, I mean, I've switched careers nine times and jobs 18 times. So have a wide collection of stories. But I remember working for Fidelity Investments. And when the pre-authorized checking went NSF, I had to reverse all the transactions there were so many transactions that reversed that they would pay me for a full day to stuff envelopes, to send letters to both the financial advisor and the client saying that the transaction went NSF. And I went to my manager and said, we have a machine that stuffs envelopes. Why are you paying me for a full day of work to stuff envelopes? Mm-hmm. And the manager's response is because it's in another location, the machine. I said, but we use secured couriers that deliver within an hour. What's the problem? <laughs> like the courier will cost you 30 bucks. Yeah. You're you paying a lot more than that salary. for me to stuff envelopes the whole day. Yeah. As opposed to doing the financial transaction. But the manager couldn't understand the simplicity of my idea. And so they completely dismissed it uh-huh. and said, this is the way we do it. And so you have that kind of experience a lot. And leader, like, you know, a lot of my mentors always talk to me. And um, one of my favorite books is called The Radical Leap by Steve Harbour. Um, There is basically a guy that lost his job and he meets this beach bum. And the beach bum tells him that leadership is the acronym LEAP. Love, energy, audacity, and proof. If you cultivate love, You'll generate energy, you'll inspire audacity, and the proof will be in the pot pudding. And then he said, the difference between a leader and a radical leader is OS exclamation M, better known as oh shit moments. 
right? <laughs> um, but a leader wants to lose their job. Because if I've led you where you're doing such a great job that you can take over my job, chances are I'm getting promoted to even higher strategy vision. So I want you to be in a position to take me out of my job. Mm -hmm. And if the employer doesn't recognize the value that I brought in lifting my team and kind of getting them to perform, somebody else will that will give you a better job, better pay, better working conditions. Right. Uh, and so a manager is terrified that they're going to lose their job. So they don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to be brilliant or offer genius ideas because they think they'll look bad kind of thing. Um, and so there's a lot of people that have a title of leader, but don't understand the fundamentals of leadership, for example. Yeah, makes sense. So if we could, um, Table this for a minute. Um, you're an entrepreneur yourself. Yes. We'd love to see some behind the scenes of how you've grown and scaled your own company. Um, and if there's been anything that has shown up that has been a great learning lesson or huge aha or um, like, oh my God, I wish I would have known that before that happened. So uh, would I you mind sharing? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first opened my recruiting bit, like, so before I opened my recruiting business, uh, in my first year of working in recruiting, I generated over three quarters of a million dollars for my the company I worked for. To reward me for my outstanding work and to understand my supervisor who'd been there for 11 years generated $140,000, right? To reward me, the owner gave me cheese and crackers, literally cheese and crackers. And when I looked at her and went, what is this? She was like, well, the cheese is from one of the fanciest, you know, grocery stores where the cow is massaged for a month. And I'm like, do I look like I'm 65 years old that I need cheese from that? And sadly, the crackers were from Dollar Tree kind of thing. And so I said to her, like, I generated three quarters of a million dollars for you in new business. Like, this is all relationships that I've built with people. And this is how you're going to reward me. And I was like, if that's what you think of what I've done for you, I don't need you. I don't need your company name. I can do this on my own. And when I opened my business, um, everything I touched turned to gold. And so young, dumb, uh, we'll call it excited about being an entrepreneur. I didn't think I needed a plan B. I didn't think I needed contingency plans. And I was spending money even before it was happening because just money was coming in. And then the market crashed in around 2010. My business partner taught me a $360,000 lesson where she stole uh, $270,000 plus from me. And I got nailed with $94,000 in taxes. So that completely derailed me because when you owe $94,000 in taxes, you can't even declare bankruptcy. You have like, uh, so I basically wiped out all my savings, lived off credit cards, kind of literally off mac and cheese and crackers practically for, for it. And then, you know, slowly but surely rebuilt and came back kind of like a Phoenix rising stronger and better because now I understand, okay, you know what? In any conversation, there's always good intention. You want to do business. There's a contract. There is, you know, paper trail. There is, you know, even in phone conversations, especially when let's say ideas are being exchanged, I will send an email saying, 
this is what we discussed, confirming that we're on the same page so that I don't have surprises a year later. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've always done with my career is I've always believed in the importance of taking care of people. Um, so let's say one of my biggest clients was an accounting firm where I would recruit, let's say, 25 people for them a year. So according to at least Ontario law in Canada, every six months, I'm allowed to give up to a $500 gift mm -hmm. to the client. Mm -hmm. So yeah. especially at Christmas, let's say I went and I bought, again, this is going back, a digital camera that was worth about $400. And I gave it to the partner that I was working with. Partner smiled at me and said, I'm a partner in this firm. I make at least a half a million dollars. I don't necessarily need your digital camera. I said, okay, then give it as a gift at your Christmas party. But I'm I'm saying thank you for the business that you gave me. You know, when they called me and said, we're doing a golf tournament, would you be able to sponsor us? I didn't argue. I just said, how much do you need as a sponsorship? And because I was so quick to acknowledge that they gave me so much business, they gave me exclusive orders uh, that nobody else got because of the way that I treated them, mm -hmm. right? When I placed candidates on the first day of the job for each candidate, I would send them a dozen rose cookies. So imagine you're starting a brand new job and you're getting a package on the first day of the job and your coworkers is like, well, what's that? What's that? And it's cookies. So you offer the cookies to everybody. And um, now you've built kind of that. Now you're report. building friendships within the office. And I would yeah. also send a dozen roast cookies to my contact in the company so that the leadership or executive got to enjoy the cookies too, which again, you know, they're paying me, let's say 10 to $15,000. I've spent hundred bucks to bar 200, 150 bucks to buy cookies. It's such a small thing, but it made such a difference that my clients were like, I just want to deal with you because you take care of us. You're not just trying I to close the business. You're understanding our business. Yeah. You're, you're checking in, uh, you know, I would come in, let's say once a month, I'm like, hey, can I take you out to lunch? And, you know, just regular conversation. How are your kids doing? How are this? Which, you know, we don't do enough uh, nowadays because everything is kind of go, 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 go. Um, I was working um, in a company that owns several uh, colleges in Canada. And I was asked to build a call center from scratch the restrictions or the expectation was that my team will generate an extra $300,000 for the organization because uh, the team was required to call leads that are more than four months old and more than 50 miles from the nearest campus. When the VP kind of offered me this, I said, I have two conditions. Number one, you give me about $5,000 to spend as I wish. You don't ask any questions. And number two, as long as I'm producing results, stay out of my way. <laughs> yeah. um, in less than six months, we did $2.25 million. Now, from the get-go, um, one of the things that it is, I give everybody on my team nicknames. So we had, you know, Giggles and uh, Officer. And I had a 60-year-old woman and she was hot mama. And uh, like we created a fun environment because everybody addressed each other by their nickname. So it created a playful environment. Right. Before I hired my first eight people, um, I went to Dollar Tree and I bought each one of them a gift bag with stickers and funky pens and, uh, you know, fun thing like chocolate to welcome them on their first day of the job. 
I told each one of them, look, you're going to be here for at least eight hours a day. I want you to go spend up to $40 on something that you like. So uh, whether it's a plant, whether it's something, you know, a toy or whatever, to put on your cubicles to make it your own, mm -hmm. right? Bring me the receipt. I'll give you the money. Uh, I'll give you the cash. Now, every Monday morning when we had our meeting, first thing I would do is ask each one of my team members to tell me something they did really well that week. And we all celebrated that. Then I asked them, let's say, what objections did you have issues with? And instead of me as a director going, okay, here's what you should do. When a coworker said, I'm getting this objection and I've had difficulty overcoming that, I would ask the team how they handle that and, you know, what they would suggest to do to, you know, bypass and obviously kind of summarize it as the director. Now, we were doing so well that the VP challenged me one of the weeks to do $150,000 for the week. Mm -hmm. I told the team this on the Monday morning meeting. I said, if you guys as a team achieve $150,000, I will reward the whole team on Friday. By Wednesday at 2.20, we were $210,000, right? So I said to the team Wednesday, lunch is on me. Don't bring a lunch. I'm giving you the VIP treatment. Friday at noon, I gave the entire team VIP tickets to the movie theater and uh, like a $40 voucher for food. I said, if you guys want to share food, vouchers are yours. You guys go to the movies right now during work hours. And I will stay here. I'll stay back so that if anybody calls in because this was an outball call center, I will pick up the phone and I'll close the deals for you. Okay. Right? Yeah. My VP calls me, goes, did you just send your entire team to the movies during work hours? I'm like, yep. He's like, what's wrong with you? They could have worked on their five, like, you know, four or five hours. They could have made more money. I said, this week you asked me for $150,000. We produced 320. He's I think like, yeah, they can like, hang we just out. Lost five hours of work. I look at him and said, listen, if next week we don't produce more than we produced this week, you can go ahead and fire me. The following week, we did $430,000, right? Because on Monday, when my staff came in, they were like, oh my God, the movie was so good. And we had like, you know, big buckets of popcorn. And they were so excited about it that I spent the money. And I actually closed about eight deals for them while they were gone so that they also individually got more sales and therefore a higher commission for it. So, you know, it created such a good vibe where I created a culture where when we were short on numbers, I didn't have to ask who's staying to over to work overtime. They held each other responsible because they wanted the team to succeed. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes and sense. So, and again, those are things that as an entrepreneur, you know, food goes a long way. You know, buy some buy some donuts, buy some chips, put them, you know, if you're in the office together, it, it helps people relax do those little things, you know, pay for what about if, if you've got a virtual team again, but for virtual teams, you can do like a trivia night that, you know, and then offer a prize that you can send to or pay for. Like, I mean, you can go to Costco and buy gift certificates to most things in, in, in a, they have like, uh, I think a deck of like different $50 gift certificates that you can buy in 
I think like 250, 500, $1,000 and you can give them and send it to them, right? Nowadays with technology, it's not that hard to go, you know what, you did a great job. Like we did a trivia night, you won, here's uh, whatever an experience like paint night. And I've paid for it. I've paid for, you know, three drinks for you and so forth. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, again, you're spending a hundred dollars, but that appreciation mm -hmm. will produce so much more results for you. Yeah. And so I speak to entrepreneurs and, you know, global companies like Deloitte and Touche to say, you know, accountants are burning out because they're working 80 to hundred hours during tax season. And mm -hmm. if you're not starting to create any work-life balance incentives that are not necessarily monetary, you know, you're going to pay hundred to $180,000 a month to have open positions in turnover in overtime and people calling sick and people deciding to be less productive because they're not getting rewarded for it. And so why would I bother to do more if you don't seem to care? Yeah. Uh, kind of sure. mentality. Well, I mean, Joseph, this has been really, really enlightening. Um, for those in our audience that would be like, I need to chat with you about what's going on in my world. Um, what is the best way for somebody to get a hold of you, reach out to you? And do you happen to have a, a gift for our audience as well? So the gifts will be kind of in the video down there. I'll create a special portal with kind of one of my books, as well as kind of uh, do's and don'ts for creating a great corporate culture without spending a lot of money, um, you know, simple ideas of things that virtually, what can you do? Okay, so we can do a virtual lunch and make sure that at lunchtime, we're not talking work, we're talking about, let's say, movies, or we're talking about music, or we're talking about TV shows, uh, Netflix shows, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, trivia and so forth, and have some sort of reward mechanism that's potentially intrinsic to the individual. You know, so donate money to a charity of their choice in their name so that they can kind of go, okay, you know, this matters to me. Like mm -hmm. you know, my father, God rest his soul, passed away 10 years ago from cancer. So, you know, if a company said, hey, we're going to donate money to cancer research in your name or in your father's name, to me, that's a level of honoring my father that goes beyond and continues kind of thing so you know it's so simple to take care of people we just need to have the conversation of what do you like what are you interested in and um you know how can we work together to make this happen beautiful okay so we'll definitely have that we'll have a link to your website all of that will be in the show notes uh, my last question for you is what is a takeaway or a memorable note you'd like to leave our audience with today um as much as we have a gazillion resources and technology and AI today, we need to go back to the human factor. We need to have conversations because when you say to someone, okay, what excites you? What inspires you? What are things that you want to do, experience, achieve? A lot of those things might be very simple things, but they're not ready to do it on their own yet because life happens kind of thing. And so if you can help facilitate that for someone you'll be amazed at how hard they'll work for you and how much more they'll produce uh, when you show that you care uh, 
about their well-being. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us. And I want to thank our audience for joining us on another episode of Creating Powerful Impact. I'm excited for you to take all of the lessons and the resources that you've learned here today, start implementing them and creating even more impact in your world. Until next time, have an outstanding rest of your day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Creating Powerful Impact podcast. If you are a successful coach, speaker, author, or thought leader who would like to be on this program, simply visit creatingpowerfulimpact.com forward slash guest. If you are someone who got something out of this interview, would you please do me a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your socials. Also, if you know somebody that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag creating powerful impact. I love seeing all of your posts and great guest selections. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they really mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more about us? Head on over to our website, graceandeaseproductions.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Just look for Grace and Ease Productions on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.